BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome to a very special episode of the Bill Press Pod focused on the uproar surrounding publication of a new book by Dr. Mary Trump, Donald Trump's niece and a clinical psychologist about her scatterbrained uncle and the whole dysfunctional Trump family. Of course, Trump tried to block publication of the book, but his efforts backfired big time. Sales of Mary Trump's book, Too Much and Never Enough, set a new record for Simon & Schuster, 950,000 sales on day one. Her interview with Rachel Maddow also set a record for any MSNBC program ever, 5.23 million viewers. And her book, written by a trained clinical psychologist, remember, also confirms many of the warnings first raised about Donald Trump's mental capacity three years ago in a landmark study by 27 mental health professionals called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. By now, you've probably seen interviews with Mary Trump about her book, but we decided to take a different approach today to find out what fellow mental health professionals think of her book, what they learned from it, and what it says about the mental stability of Donald Trump. So we're joined today by three leaders in their field, Dr. Bandy Lee, assistant clinical professor at the Yale School of Medicine and editor of the New York Times bestseller, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Dr. Ellen Kashak, Professor Emerita of Psychology at San Jose State University. And Dr. Edwin Fisher, clinical psychologist and professor at Gillings School of Public Health at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Dr. Lee, Dr. Kashak, Dr. Fisher, thank you all for joining us today. And we wanted to get your thoughts on the new book, the controversial new book by Mary Trump about her uncle, Too Much and Never Enough. You've all read the book. I'd just like to start out with each of you telling us what your takeaway was from the book, particularly about Donald Trump's mental capacity, what all of us should take away from this book about Trump's mental capacity. Dr. Lee, let me start with you. Yes, I found that it was very striking how she called him the most dangerous man in the world, starting with a title, and it reflects very much the title of the book that we all contributed to, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. This has been a consensus since the very beginning, since three years ago, and here we are. So it is very striking and affirming that we had independently assessed the same way. Do you think it confirms uh, what you warned about three years ago in the dangerous case of Donald Trump? Yes, absolutely. It has confirmed through an insider account what we have observed from the outside as independent mental health professionals looking at the national dynamics. That is something that we would expect, that when there is pathological dynamic in an individual of great influence, that their disordered psychology would be reflected in their household, as well as in the White House and the nation and many parts of the world now. 
Mm -hmm. And Dr. Kashak, what did you come away from Mary Trump's book with? I thought the book completely confirmed what we've been talking about for three years. And it, it's sort of a piece of, the, of a puzzle. Uh, it's not a very complicated puzzle, Donald Trump. It's not one of those puzzles with 400 pieces that are all sky. <laughs> if you see what we see as mental health professionals, you see what she sees, and you see what he's done in public all these years, the pieces totally fit together in the way that we've said. And I agree with Dr. Lee that the serious part and the most frightening part right now is the danger that he poses to this country and to the planet which we still haven't fully seen. And Dr. Fisher, your take on Mary Trump's book. Well, in addition to what uh, my colleagues have mentioned, what I was struck by was just the chronic, undifferentiated, thoroughgoing coldness of the Trump family. It starts early in the book, the vignette where Marianne, Donald Trump's sister, is home and her mother has fallen and started to bleed and is taken to the hospital. And her father tells her, Marianne is a school-age child, her father tells her, just go to school tomorrow morning, I'm going to the hospital, I'll call you if there are any developments. So consider that you're like a nine-year-old child and you're told you think your mother is dying and you're told just to go on to school and your father will call you and there are just incident after incident of emotional coldness of all members of the family to all others and i just found that to be incredibly illuminating of our understanding of Donald Trump as we see him now in the White House. In fact, Dr. Fisher, Mary Trump indicates that uh, as Donald Trump runs the country, so Fred Trump ran his family. There's also the parallel. She talks about how Fred Trump played Donald. He rescued him when he needed to rescue him, but he used him. He rescued him because it served his purposes. That That is Donald's father's purposes to rescue him. And she likens Fred, the father, to Putin and Mitch McConnell, who are playing Trump as it serves their purposes. But at some level, Trump knows that if he's no longer useful to Putin and Mitch McConnell, he will be on the ash heap very quickly. Because that also was the lesson of the family. And he saw it happen to his older brother, Fred Jr., that he was dismissed when he was no longer useful to his father. Dr. Kashak. I think she's been criticized for the fact that she's so understanding and supportive toward her father. And I would just want to say that the fact that she did that so transparently encourages me to appreciate her transparency and to feel that she is telling us what really went on rather than if she had tried to hide it. How do you assess her credentials, not just as a clinical psychologist, but as a family member? Does that make her more believable or perhaps somewhat suspect as an insider? Credentials and being a family member, in my mind, makes her able to give us the inside story from the, the perspective that a psychologist or a psychiatrist would want to hear it. And from my perspective, 
She is putting flesh on the bones of what we've said for three years. Dr. Lee, I'm curious. You started this project, really. You have been very outspoken. You've been roundly criticized for some of your comments about Donald Trump and feel that I know because we talked earlier that the media hasn't always treated you fairly. Do you think the media is treating Mary Trump fairly and taking her seriously? I think not enough. First of all, I don't consider myself really as having started anything, really. I had merely organized the voices that were already out there. And because there were so many of us, because it was an unprecedented coming forth of eventually thousands of mental health professionals who were expressing their concerns about this precedent, that I tried to collect it into a volume, first in a conference and then in a book, Mm -hmm. which was very well received by the public. Uh, We were an instant bestseller. Macmillan, one of the five big publishers, took five weeks to have enough stocks in place for the public not to run out in an hour or so. And and that was really unprecedented and unexpected of a book of this kind. What I'm finding is that the public is very aware and very hungry for mental health information, an explanation of what they see in this precedent. But there has been a clear shift in the media, first by being very responsive and interviewing us intensively, but then very oddly, the American Psychiatric Association stepped in with a distortion of ethics in in our view. And the media, instead of challenging that or even questioning that, asking us what it was about, simply went silent. And that's been over two and a half years now. And the same is occurring with Dr. Mary Trump. This morning, I read an extraordinarily psychologically minded review of her book. And it was from The Guardian, not from an American publication. This is after reading about a dozen of American reviews that oddly treat her simply as a family member and giving insider family accounts, but not appreciating her in-depth understanding of the psychological processes, the personal work she must have done to be able to be as detached as she is and give a very accurate, well-balanced account of how things really were. All that goes unappreciated because mental health is not even seen as truly a rigorous and serious profession that is scientifically based and standardized over many different observations. So it takes an expert almost to be able to appreciate this. But then again, none of the media are interviewing us, so except yourself. Our aim is to uh, and goal is to is to change that and definitely make this part of the discussion. Uh, you mentioned the Guardian review. I read that as well. And the Guardian pointed out that as a clinical psychologist, Dr. Trump, Dr. Mary Trump, identified Dr. Fisher certain pathologies that she associates with Donald Trump, among them narcissism, sociopathy, learning disabilities, and self-aggrandizement. Guilty as charged, would you say? Uh Guilty as charged. I was especially struck by what, for me at least, was new information in the book about his aggressive tendencies. There were two things that stuck out to me. One was that he 
went to New York Military Academy because he got kicked out of the private school on the board of which his father sat. But he got kicked out of the private school because of his behavioral problems in school and aggression, fighting, getting in fights with teachers and fellow students. And that kind of adolescent aggression is pathognomonic for aggressive and hostile and, in some cases, murderous tendencies in later life. Just to interject here for a minute, pathognomonic means characteristic or indicative of a particular disease or condition. So we see in him a classic pattern of adolescent aggression predicting bullying and aggression and hostility in later life. The other one that popped out to me, one of the first books that I read in the area of aggression was by a Stanford psychologist, Alfred Bandura. Bandura did a lot of interviews with aggressive children and their parents. And a pattern he noted was the father or mother who was brutal in suppressing aggression within the family, but then reinforced and and actually smiled upon the child's aggression outside the family. And we really see that in, in Fred Trump, Donald's father. He was absolutely in control of the family. He would put up with nothing, but he sort of liked the way Donald thumbed his nose to the world. And he saw Donald as being able to do that better than he could himself and he used it. Yeah, you know, Dr. Kashak, this this is hardly a family. I mean, dysfunctional family is not strong enough to describe what Dr. Mary Trump tells us about. I mean, for her, the word she used uh, describing members of her own family, cheating, lying, boasting, cruelty toward each other and toward others around them, all of which was encouraged. I mean, so to what extent can you blame the family for Donald Trump, or is that just a convenient excuse? I don't think it's a question of whom you blame, but I think it is a question of who had an influence on him and responsibility. And for most of us, that begins in the family, but it doesn't stay there. And you can see the way he was reinforced by colleagues. You can see his period with Roy Cohn. If you read Roy Cohn's work, it's word for word out of his playbook, what Donald is doing. And and look, he got somehow or other, he got elected president of the United States, whether we think it was legal or not. So there's been all kinds of reinforcement for his behavior at all kinds of levels. And that's Given the fact that Donald Trump, I don't feel, is an enigma, I think we've said over and over again for more than three years what the the issues and the pathology are, and he performs it every day. It's not that hard to discern what he's doing, but he gets away with it, and he knows how to get away with it, and he learned some of that in the family. He learned it from Cohn. He learned it from colleagues. He learned it on the job, and everything fits into the same sociopathic pattern. So, Dr. Lee, in the very beginning of The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, I believe it's in the preface, you conclude collectively, quote, that anyone as mentally, this is three years ago, anyone as mentally unstable as Donald Trump simply should not be entrusted with the life and death powers of the presidency. How does that conclusion and your warning stand in light of Mary Trump's book? Well, I think we agree completely There is very little we disagree on. In fact, the 
conclusions we make are uncannily the same. She highlights that the president is incapable of leading and is committing mass murder. These are verbatim what we have said. We have expressed throughout that our main concerns as mental health professionals who have a duty to public health, to protect public health and to safeguard society, were concerned about his unfitness and his dangerousness. And we have proven his unfitness through a mental capacity evaluation that we together performed when the right information became available. That was through special counsel Robert Mueller's report, and the president failed every criterion. That means that there is no chance he could ever be fit for the presidency. And yet, that was 15 months ago. We did not know at that time that there would be a coronavirus pandemic, but we stated that whatever the crisis, he would not be able to handle it. And dangerousness, as Dr. Fisher described, there are pathognomonic signs, there are actuarial information that we can go through, almost like a checklist, and Donald Trump meets almost every criterion. There's hardly a criterion he doesn't meet. So we fully did a dangerousness assessment as well. So. Yes, she confirms every step of the way. And one of the things that Mary Trump talks about is the phrase enablers, and she's not only talking there about the family members, she is talking about members of the media, she's talking about the financial community uh, and other Republican leaders. We're going to get into that with our panel uh, of mental health experts here in just a minute. Again, we're talking here on the Bill Press Pod today with Dr. Bandy Lee, assistant clinical professor at the Yale School of Medicine and the editor of New York Times bestseller, Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Dr. Ellen Kashak, professor of psychology at San Jose State University in California, and Dr. Edwin Fisher, clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at the Gilling School of Public Health, the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back. Today's special episode of the Bill Press Pod uh, about Mary Trump and her new book on Uncle Donald, brought to you by the Laborers Union, the good men and women of the Laborers Union, 500,000 strong in the United States and Canada under President Terry O'Sullivan, active in the energy industry, the construction industry, building America's infrastructure, and also many, many public employees. We salute the good members of the Laborers Union, thank them for their good work and their support of the Bill Press Pod, check out their website, liuna, L-I-U-N-A, liuna.org, to find out a lot more. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with uh, Dr. Bandy Lee, Dr. Ellen Kashak, and Dr. Edwin Fisher here on uh, the Bill Press Pod. I want to ask each of you about the enablers that uh, Dr. Mary Trump talks about, that Donald Trump was able to get where he is and able to do what he does, yes, because of his family, first of all, maybe, but now because of Republican leaders who give him their support, members of the media who kind of accept this as the new normal, even financial institutions who believed his bluster and, uh, uh, and gave him uh, a lot of money. Uh, Dr. Fisher, <laughs> what about these enablers? Uh, they're very real, very part of it, aren't they? Yeah, and I think it's important to distinguish maybe two groups, the enablers who are cowed and frightened versus the enablers who are, if you will, playing President Trump like a violin. And I would put some of the members of the House and Senate, a lot of the senators who didn't vote to impeach him within the former category, they're afraid of being tweeted, etc. But I'd put Two people in particular in the second category, President Putin and Majority Leader McConnell. I think both of them are playing Donald Trump. They recognize that he is fundamentally insecure about his own capacity. He's never really been as Mary Trump details, never really been successful at much of anything except, as his sister put it, a few bankruptcies. And by flattering him and indulging him, people have learned that they can control him. So the bankers, for example, who forgave him a lot of loans and paid him and sort of facilitated his financial mismanagement of some of his real estate dealings, those bankers nevertheless benefited on the long side from the business and felt that they were being recompensed for it. And Mitch McConnell, of course, has gotten his Supreme Court judges and feels very smugly content. He's gotten his tax reductions for the top 1%, etc. And so he sees the past three and a half years as a success for his agenda. And of course, his wife is in the cabinet and able to do all sorts of favors for her family business. But these people will cut Donald Trump loose once his utility is no more. And that's what Trump most fears, I suspect. Well, and how about members of the media, Dr. Lee? I mean, they seem to, you know, they take every Donald Trump tweet seriously, almost accept his aberrant behavior as the new normal. I believe there are two levels happening with the media as well. On the one hand, the media feel intimidated by him and abused by him, especially the reporters who try to ask him questions 
at press briefings. But there's also censorship going on in terms of not allowing coverage of mental health issues in mental health terms. Uh, in other words, they can state everything that is happening factually or cover things as if they were uh, simply political actions, and they've been instructed to do, do this over several years. I sense this because many reporters and producers would try to interview me, have interviewed me, and try to publish their articles, try to have broadcasts with me and other mental health professionals, and eventually all our quotes would be deleted, the articles would be dropped, or the broadcasts would be canceled at last minute. And I believe they have learned over time not to broach this topic in mental health terms. And that is a great loss because how can we deal with the problem unless we understand it correctly and intervene correctly, just like the pandemic? Unless we deal with pandemic expertise, we will go about it the wrong way. It's the same with mental health. If we discount mental health expertise altogether, based on some popular misconceptions that mental health is not a science or mental health doesn't exist or impairment doesn't exist or that it cannot possibly happen in a president. Playing on these notions and also that mental health professionals only see private patients when we all have a public health duty and therefore it is our duty to inform the public and warn the public when a public figure is posing a danger to society, and they have eliminated this role. I was going to ask you about that, Dr. Kashak, because counter to those who might enable Donald Trump, the three of you and some of your colleagues have spoken out and perceive, uh, Dr. Kashak, a duty actually to speak out. Am I saying that too strongly? No, you're saying it absolutely correctly. We're in a situation of extreme danger. And let me go back and say something about the enablers before I say that part. Please, yeah. In my mind, the enablers are both afraid and greedy. I wouldn't separate them into two separate groups because it's, you know, what he can do to you is terribly frightening, but also they're finding a way to flatter him and to enable him that allows them to benefit from his uh, psychological problems and his ignorance of political issues. And he performs the ignorance for everyone to see. The way he's behaving in this COVID crisis is just beyond shocking. And he's demonstrating what we've said for a long time, that he doesn't have even the ability or the understanding, much less the inclination to be helpful to the American people. So I would say that the enablers are playing him, as Dr. Fisher said, but the worst thing that's going on is that they're playing the American people. And there are games being played with the American people that our group, and to move on to what you asked me about our group, that our group has been trying to warn against. And it's not just an intellectual exercise or a psychological exercise. The reason that we're so adamant about warning is that this man and this group of men that have gotten themselves together are extremely dangerous to our country. Our country is self-destructing. It's almost impossible not to see it. 
and extremely dangerous to our country and to the rest of the planet. Donald, one thing Donald Trump does, he's not the best uh, poker player because he signals what he's going to do. He has a tell. And his tell is that he projects it onto someone else. And he tells you what they're about to do five minutes before he does it. And he's telling us with his own behavior now that he's about to initiate what some people are calling a civil war and what I've been calling a coup with the American government. He is sending troops into cities in the United States, American troops, and I think that the serious danger, the most serious danger that we're looking at is coming in November when he loses the election. And I would agree with Dr. Lee also that the public has not been taking us seriously enough and the media has not been because this is a life or death warning. The thing that has me the most frustrated in this process is that nobody does anything. And here we are three and a half years later saying the same thing and nobody does anything. Uh, and we're talking about it again now because, of course, of Dr. Mary Trump's book, uh, Too Much uh, and Never Enough. Dr. Fisher, in your chapter in The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, you talk about management style. This is early on in the Trump uh, presidency, but you contrast the management style, the, the governing style, if you will, decision-making style of John F. Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis and what we might expect of Donald Trump in his first major crisis. Now we have seen his first major crisis, the coronavirus crisis. What did we learn and what do you see in the way he's handled that? Well, it, it's really remarkable how the uh, prognostication has been realized in, in, in actuality, where President Kennedy sought diversity of opinion and paid attention to the people in the room and took very seriously his responsible to make good decisions and where he saw the advantage of not blustering and not threatening and not pushing people into corners. President Trump has done the opposite of all of those. He's narrowed the opinions he wants. He only wants the opinions that flatter him, that reinforce him, thus the semi-departure of Dr. Fauci. And he doesn't take seriously and soberly the decisions he's making. Rather, he tosses off ideas about injecting Clorox and the fact that testing people causes coronavirus cases to occur in his eyes. So the, the contrast with President Kennedy is remarkable. What is also very frightening is Mary Trump documents time and again in her book that as long as he is flattered and confirmed by those around him, President Trump is happy. But if he feels that people have departed from him, have no longer confirmed him, his response is cruelty. And he started that early in life when he got kicked out of the private school before going to New York Military Academy. He used tantrums and various bullying tactics in his business dealings. He's shown cruelty time and again toward his brothers, toward his sister. And he's now showing tremendous cruelty toward the demonstrators, the people in Portland, the African-Americans whom he's threatened, backed up their tormentors in Charlottesville. And as Dr. Kashak said, we can anticipate a lot of bad things over the next few months as the 
coronavirus and the changes in attitudes toward racism in this country that the president fully just doesn't understand as those things create problems that he cannot solve and that he can not create the myth of his being able to solve all problems as as his incapacity to do, to address them becomes more and more clear his humiliation will become more clear his loss will become more clear and with that very likely his cruelty as a way of dealing with these things so this is not contained in Mary Trump's book but I can't visit with the three of you without at least asking your take on this in the middle of all of this Donald Trump Trump's response is to call himself over and over again a stable genius. And more recently, he's been boasting about, bragging about this mental cognitive test that he took out at Walter Reed, which we learned is the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Test, which he claims he aced it, that nobody has ever done as well as he did on this. The doctors couldn't believe how well he did. And it just proves that he's a stable genius. Now, the three of you must know this test. How serious is it? How hard is it? What does it really tell us? This is a test to assess for dementia, and it's used to create a baseline and then to compare how the person does each year. It's a very simple test that has nothing to do with intelligence. I just don't think anybody who is a genius would call it, go around saying I'm a genius in the first place. And the term a stable genius really has no meaning other than whatever meaning he ascribes to it. Being a genius has some meaning. Being stable has some meaning. Together, they uh, negate the meaning that they have separately, I would say. So this is a test where you're asked to, for example, identify the difference between an elephant and an alligator. People in late-stage dementia can't do it anymore. Acing that test means anything from you're not in dementia to you're in early stages of dementia. That's what it means. The Montreal Cognitive Test has been asserted to mean that he has no dementia and that he is fit for duty. None of those things can be assured because it is not really a, a thorough test. It is a screen. And it is a screen that has been found so insensitive that an Alzheimer consortium has recommended that people not use it for ruling out all, even full-blown Alzheimer's disease because full-blown Alzheimer patients and hospitalized schizophrenic patients have also shown to ace the test. And so they had to go as far as the creator of the test having to put out a statement that unless people are trained in it and take a training course, he cautions that it's been misused to the point that he has had to require this. Now, we know two years ago that Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who is not eligible to perform a fitness for duty test, being White House employed and a subordinate of the commander in chief, uh, still gave this test and declared the president mentally fit. So one can imagine that these kinds of misuses have encouraged the creator of the test to change the requirements. Let me ask you a different question, Dr. Fisher, which is, to be fair, we should ask about Joe Biden. Have you seen any signs that Joe Biden uh, has any cognitive uh, decay yeah, so neuropsychology is not my my uh, specialty, 
But um, what I found helpful in understanding Joe Biden and his occasional misstatements is that a lot of the, his patterns are common among people with a history of stuttering, which he has talked about in his own case. And that pausing to choose another word and, and hesitating to find a word that won't cause me to stutter is a common pattern among people with problems with stuttering. I think Vice President Biden shows himself to be lucid and clear and articulate. One of the things that I'm struck by are the people who have known President Trump for a long time who say his vocabulary has become limited over the years, that his articulation is, is much, much diminished. And I think in that regard, Vice President Biden continues to be articulate and thoughtful and subtle and nuanced in his comments on the things that he's addressing. So we started out asking each of you your take on the Mary Trump book. You're very generous with your time. So let me, let's close by going to each of you again here at the end. So three years ago, you all cooperated in, again, publication of the New York Times bestseller, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, uh, issuing the warning about Donald Trump's unfitness, if you will, to be president. Now we see on top of this, uh, the new book by Dr. Mary Trump, his niece, of course, called Too Much and Never Enough. So... Uh, Based on the first book, the three years, and now this book, what is your word, closing word to the American people that we should know from your experience and these two books? Let me start with you, Dr. Kashak. I want the American people to know that he's impaired, and he's impaired in such a way that he's dangerous. He's already being dangerous. And before November and between November 3rd and January 20th, I think is going to be the time of highest danger and to please do something. Get your representatives to do something. Something has to be done. Call to action there. Dr. Fisher? Yeah, I would say that very much in agreement with Dr. Kasak. The cruelty, the coldness, the lack of empathy, I think we haven't used the empathy word, but it's an important one that Dr. Mary Trump articulates well. Those three are a real horrible combination that put us all at great risk. Clearly, President Trump does not care about the deaths from the coronavirus. He doesn't care about the thousands of people who have died that perhaps he could have prevented. And he doesn't care about us. And the American people who voted for him, who voted against him, need to know that at least that one thing we all have in common, that he doesn't give a damn about us and that he will do whatever he thinks is in his interest to save his face, to save his reputation in the months ahead. And Dr. Bandy Lee will give you the last word, your message to the American people today. I would agree with Dr. Kashak and Dr. Fisher. I would even caution that the dangers begin now. We may not really be safe until November even. And we are seeing the dangers in the streets of Portland and Chicago and New York. And to consider that someone who does not have the mental capacity to be president of the United States, anyone who is found to lack mental capacity would not be able to continue in their job for for even a single 
day. And yet we have months ahead of us, someone in the most consequential job. And therefore, I believe that for health reasons, mental health reasons, we do need to act. We do need to act urgently. Whether or not this is politically feasible is is not my area, but as a health professional, I would say it is extremely important that if we cannot remove the president from his position of full presidential powers, then we ought to at least place limits on them and to limit his influence. And this is a matter of life or death. And with that, we thank you, Dr. Ed Fisher, Dr. Ellen Kashak, and Dr. Bandy Lee. Thank you for your good work. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for your time today with the Bill Press Pod. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it for this special episode of the Bill Press Pod, where three mental health professionals offer their take on the explosive new book by Donald Trump's niece, Dr. Mary Trump, on the serious mental health deficiencies of her uncle, Donald Trump. But this is just a preview, friends, of what's to come. Next week on the Bill Press Pod, we're gonna begin a special series with mental health professionals examining whether Donald Trump is mentally fit to be president of the United States. Three years ago, these leading psychologists and psychiatrists warned about Trump's mental deficiencies in the best-selling book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Now on the Bill Press Pod, three years later, they're coming back to say that after three years on the job, Donald Trump is now more dangerous than ever. The first episode of this special series on the Bill Press Pod on the dangerous case of Donald Trump airs on August 4. It'll scare the hell out of you. Don't miss it.